Amen. Thank you very much. Always in the mood to preach and worship after y'all get done, so thank you. <clears throat> All right, as we transition out, I want to welcome everybody that is here. It's good to see people. I'm always thrilled the last few weeks to see people in the church and kids in the church as we kind of continue to transition, and so it's good to welcome everybody here. We have some visitors. We have some dear friends from a church three churches ago that are here today, and so I'm thrilled to see y'all. Thanks for being here. Uh, welcome everybody at home. Uh, we are thrilled that you are joining us also. Um, we're in our time of our budget, and so we, in this time of pandemic, we have to do things a little differently. And so uh, Ashley showed you in the announcements how to receive the text <clears throat> or how to get on our text uh, chain, and we're going to send out a survey. It's going to be a very, very basic stewardship campaign this time where it's just going to say, are you going to continue to give? Yes or no in, the, in 2021, and is it going to be an increase, stay the same, decrease? And so we're going to try to gather as many um, through that survey as we possibly can, and then the rest we will have a follow-up call uh, to try to get as much information for Derek and the finance uh, team so they can do the best job they can with our budget, okay? All right, well, let's continue our series, but first, let us pray. Dear Lord, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would buy, uh, guide the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, <clears throat> that each person here would receive what you have for us, and that each person at home would receive the message you have for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, like many of you, I am s uh, suffering with allergies this week, so <clears throat> you'll have to forgive me. All right. As we continue in our series, Inequity of Grace, uh, we are going to study the, or talk about a little bit about the conversion of Paul. And the conversion of Paul is in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1 through verse 9. Listen for the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in, in Damascus, so that if they were found there, any who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. This is the word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> so when we look at the conversion of Paul, and we ask ourselves, what, when we talk about conversion, we, we go from something to something. And a lot of times that is a lifestyle that comes with a lot of different things. But when we look at Paul, is he really, what was he converted from? 
right? It, it's really, when you get down to it, it's very basic what he was converted from. <clears throat> he was not converted from being irreligious to religious. He was a very religious man. He, he says in Scripture, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. So he wasn't converted to that. He wasn't converted from unbelief to belief. He had a very firm belief in God and the things of God. He wasn't believe, uh, converted from insincerity to sincerity. He was very sincere before and after his conversion experience. Very sincere man in his faith and in his belief. He wasn't converted from atheism to theism. He already believed in the one God of Israel, the one God of the Bible. So what was it? What was the one thing, the central core thing that we can say Paul was converted. The one life-transforming thing that Paul, that, that his conversion was based on, that transformed his whole life, was the fact of who the Messiah was. See, he even believed as a Pharisee, he even believed in the Messiah. What happened on that day is he came to believe one thing, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. That was the foundational thing. That was the one thing. That's what it came down to. It all came down to who Jesus was. That's it. The one thing. And he had experienced the resurrected Jesus in the desert. And it's really the same thing for all of us, right? It's the thing, same thing throughout Scripture about the identity of who Jesus is. That's what it comes down for all of us. We read in Mark 8, chapter 8, um, that Jesus and his disciples were going from village to village, and he asked, asked his disciples as they intermingled with these villagers and, and the people, he said, who do the people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some others say a prophet. But Jesus stopped him. He said, but who do you say that I am? There's that question. That's what it came down for Paul. That's what it comes down for all of us. Who do we say Jesus is? Again, we read the same kind of question, getting to the meat of the matter, in John chapter 11, at the death of Lazarus. Some of you might remember the story where Martha and Mary come and say, uh, our brother is dead, and Jesus waits two days. It's kind of curious, but he gets there, and Martha says, well, it's too late now. If you would have been here earlier, maybe, but it's too late. And what is Jesus' response to her? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. One who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Again, comes down. Who do you believe? Jesus is asking them, who do you believe that I am? Do you believe that I am the Messiah, the Son of a God? And it comes down to that for all of us. Who do we say that Jesus is? Doesn't matter what our grandparents say, our parents say, our siblings say, 
What the world says, it matters who do we say that it, who is Jesus to us? I mean, you can get into all kinds of Bible studies. You can get into all kinds of biblical concepts. Are you post-millennial, pre-millennial? Some of you probably don't even know what I'm talking about. Homeoousis versus homeoosis. I don't even think I said that right, right? But on the substance of who Jesus is, is it the same matter or, or the triune God? Is it the same matter or is it similar matter? You can get into all that kind of stuff, but none of that stuff matters. None of it matters. I don't know if I've shared this with you all. I've shared it in a Bible study here and with the staff. When I was on a, a retreat and they asked pastors questions, one of the questions, they were divvying it up, and I wasn't in the pastors when we were deciding it, <laughs> and one of the questions was, um, is there a rapture? And since I wasn't there, they gave that one to me. They're like, here, Jim, you, you got this one, because they didn't want to answer it. I thought, that's easy. I got up and read the question, said, is there a rapture? I said, we'll find out. <laughs> right? Because whether we go in the rapture or not does not matter if we believe in the rapture or not. It matters who do we say Jesus is. Is Jesus the Messiah? That's what it comes down to. This is one of the fundamental pillars of the reformers. Faith alone, grace alone, Jesus alone. Who do we say is? And we don't even have to understand all of this other stuff. The, the Bible can be as intellectual and as deep and complex as you want it to be, or it could be as simple as Jesus saves. We don't understand it. How can we understand all the things of God? I read in a book somewhere one time that Billy Graham held up the Bible and he says, I do not understand everything in here but I believe it. And it's the same thing for us. But it, it, that doesn't mean it has to be blind faith. It can be very logical that we can believe all that's in there. Because what is the basics of our faith about who Jesus is? That he is the Messiah, that he died and was raised from the dead for ourselves. And if we believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that's what happened then we can trust all other things. In a seminary, I know I shared this with the staff, in seminary, I had a teacher that did not believe a lot of stuff in the Bible. She actually said, if you believe that the walls of Jericho fell down, like it says in the Bible, then you're not too bright. And I'm thinking to myself, you know the basis of our faith is that somebody came back from the dead, right? And if you believe that, then pretty much everything else is possible, right? So it comes down again to who do we say that Jesus is? And it, comes to, it came down for Paul, the Pharisee among Pharisees, the persecutor of Christians, it came down to that same question. Who do you say that we are? And that's why Jesus taught, or the Bible talks about Jesus as either being the cornerstone of our faith, 
everything that it's built on, it all comes down to who do we say that Jesus is. Our stumbling stone, as he was teaching this in Romans to the Jewish people, if you don't, can't get over who Jesus is, if you can't accept the fact that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, then he becomes your stumbling stone. But when you do, he becomes the cornerstone of who we are and what we believe in our faith. And so in Paul, it came down to that question, who do you say that I am? And Paul realized in that moment, the answer was he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And it comes down to that for us too. But the good news, as we see in, in um, Paul's story, that Jesus is always closer than we think. Right? It seemed like Paul, at first glance when we read that, it seems like Paul was extremely on the far away from who Jesus was, persecuting Christians. But as I went through that list, you saw pretty much everything else was with the, in line except the answer to that question. And when he came to that realization who Jesus was, Jesus was right there. That's all it took for Paul. And then he became not a persecutor of Christians, but the, the evangelist to the Gentiles, to the world. It all hinged on that because Jesus was right there the whole time. All he needed to do was realize it. And the same thing for us. Jesus is always closer than we think. Sometimes we can go through our lives and maybe we don't know Jesus. That's my story. Some of your stories. And yet, he was right there when we began to seek him. Sometimes in our lives, we find ourselves, when we're scared, you have to understand, when, when the world is scary, to some people today it's scary, some people it's not. I mean, it's kind of a scary world. Pandemic, elections, riots. I mean, when you're scared, jobs, finances, Jesus is closer than you think. When you've really messed up in maybe a relationship, maybe your lives, you've messed your life up and you just don't see how it's going to be rebuilt or how you might be reconciled or you, you just can't see which way to go and you just think, I've messed it up so bad. You have to remember, Jesus is closer than you think and can do more than you can imagine. When you feel alone, when you feel distant from God, Jesus is always closer than we think. And we learn that from this story, that Jesus is always right there. If we find ourselves distant from God, remember, God didn't move, we moved. And he's right there waiting for us to come back, just like the prodigal, right? The prodigal son. And so it's all about Jesus, and Jesus is closer than we think. And if it's all about Jesus, that means, as our series, what we're talking about, it means it's all about grace. And that's grace for everybody. Remember, we talked about low anthropology and high anthropology, the humanist perspective and the biblical perspective that we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. Last few weeks, we talked about the woman caught in adultery in the Gospel of John. We talked about Peter, blue-collar fisherman, 
who was headstrong and always getting out in front of Jesus. And then today we're talking about the elite of the elite when it comes to religion and academia of the time. And the one thing that it has in common is that it's all about Jesus and they all need grace. They can't earn it. They all fall short of the glory of God. They all aren't who they, in very different ways, none of them are who they should be or doing what they should be. They have all messed up. And so it's about Jesus and it's about grace. And we all need it. You know, we're in this time of this election and there's some feelings on both sides and it's interesting times and you're probably having some interesting conversations with family. Uh, I know my family is. We're teasing each other via text. Man, we can be merciless. But we have a good time. But you know what Biden supporters and Trump supporters have in common? Those Trump supporters are sinners. And they fall short. And they make mistakes. And they're not who they should be. Did I say Trump first? Okay. I didn't want to say it twice. And you know who the Biden supporters are? Sinners who fall short, make mistakes. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus. We all need grace. And when we need grace, we have to give grace. Grace is what levels the playing field. See, the woman caught in adultery needed grace. Paul who was persecuting, killing Christians, even though he was a religious man, needed grace. That's what they had in common. That's what we have in common. We are sinners saved by grace. And it all comes down to who we say Jesus is. Is Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God? Came down to that for Paul, and it comes down to that for us. He is the cornerstone. For some, he's the stumbling stone. But the question is, who is he to you? And sometimes we might have answered that question once in our lives. You know, that, that yes, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We might have gone through that process. But we have to understand that we're human. And from time to time, even though we think that with our head, our hearts are still far from him. And we might not be, we might say it in our head, he's the Messiah, the Son of God, but we're not living it in our hearts. And so from time to time, we need to ask ourselves, in our lives, who's guiding your life? What is guiding your life? What is the strongest uh, relationship in your life? Where are you in your life? And then you have to ask yourself, who is Jesus to me? Am I following Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, or, is I, or am I just going to church? Because those are two different things. There's a lot of people in church go back to the rapture, right? If there is a rapture, I'm not going to get into it, I don't know. We'll find out. If there is a rapture, 
There's going to be a lot of church pews, church seats with people in them. There's going to be a lot of pulpits with people in them. Because going to church and being religious, Paul was religious, couldn't be more religious. Going to church and being religious and understanding and living your life, following the Messiah, the Son of God, are two different things. And so we, in this church, we do communion every week. And it's an opportunity to see and to be reminded. It's a sermon. It's a message every week, not just through the words, but through the, the symbolism of what we see in the broken body, the broken bread, the cup the, that represents the, the blood that was shed. We see every week that we, this proclaimed through the sacrament of communion that Jesus Christ was dead and buried and gave his life on a cross that we might have life and be resurrected to new life. Every week. We are confronted with who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's an opportunity for us to keep our hearts and to keep our focus and to fix our eyes on Jesus and to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so it's not a bad question to ask yourself, over and over. When we come to communion this morning, ask yourself, as I break the bread, as I talk about the cup, as you partake in your seats, who do I say that he is? Not just with my head, but with my heart and with your action. How you live, how you live, does that tell the world who you say Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the Messiah, the Son of God? That even though you die, those that believe in him, yet shall they live? As we come to communion this morning, let that question resonate. Let that question just hover over your soul. Ask yourself, who do I truly say that Jesus is? because that makes all the difference. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Lord, help us to live into that answer. Help us to live our lives as though we truly believe that, with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul. In his holy name we pray, amen.